I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, and you've wondered, Lord, where is my joy? What happened to it, Lord? Where is that sense of closeness with you that I've had in the past? And today, Jesus, in this breakthrough sermon series we've been looking at, he leaves the powerful and vivid imagery of the vine and he continues to talk about how we might have that breakthrough in our spiritual lives and he talks today about some of the blessings that God gives to us when we walk with him. This of course is not to say that we won't have our trials and tribulations and challenges along the way but Christ is not shy to give us incentive and motivation to walk with him. And there's two specific blessings that flow from a breakthrough when God begins to work in our life that he talks about today. The first one is love, and the second one is joy. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 of John 15 as we discuss these two powerful principles. First of all, verses 9 and 10, we find these words. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. When I'm reading through the Bible or when I'm having devotions and I come to John 15, I always love it when I get to these particular verses because not only am I comforted, I'm challenged uh, with the concept of remaining and staying near the love of God. Well, the first blessing that we see in our outline this morning that flows from a breakthrough is, number one, confidence in God's love. In verse 9, he comes out with it, and A, under number one, the first way that we grow in confidence in God's love is this, to take in the depths of God's love for you. I don't know if you have ever hoped that someone could just know how you really felt about them. I remember when Susie and I began uh, mass baby production back in 1993, uh, and we were holding these little guys in our arms. I'm sitting there going, they don't understand how much their dad loves them. I mean, I, I, I can tell them and I can show them, but there's no way they can grasp it. This morning, I looked at Susie and I said, thank you for saying yes to me. And she's going, what are you talking about? And I said, this is a weird celebration and we don't normally celebrate this, but it hit me today because today is Susie's sister's birthday, November the 2nd. And November the 2nd, 1991, that lady had the courage and the audacity somehow to say yes to me when I got down on one knee. <clears throat> and through the years, I have, I've, when I've told her, hey, you don't know how much I love you, I, I'm sitting there going, I hope that you can grasp just, <clears throat> I'm going to be okay here, don't, don't worry. <laughs> I hope that you know, I hope that you know just how much I love you. And spiritually, we're looking at this passage and we're going, did I miss something? Is this really 
what Jesus is saying about us? He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, he's not sitting there bragging about how special the Heavenly Father's love is for him. I think when we're growing up, we always kind of wore out on the guy that bragged about their daddy, how strong their dad was, how much money their dad was, and how their dad did this and had been there. This is not Jesus saying, my daddy loves me more than you could ever fathom and more than you'll ever experience yourself. He's, he's trying to communicate to them. He's not just saying, the father loves me, and I love my disciples, and they love each other. No, he's looking at the disciples, and brothers and sisters, he's looking at you this morning. If you know him in a personal way, and you are one of his disciples, he's pointing right to you and saying, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's something unfathomable to take in. That's something that we can't fully grasp. Just how much the Father loved the Son. We can't even get our minds around that kind of pure love because there's nothing but holiness, nothing but purity, nothing but righteousness, nothing but this kind of love that never fails, that never stops, that endures forever and ever and ever and is always there, can always be counted on. Jesus said, that's the kind of love I have for you. And that's not easy to take in. Matter of fact, that's why Paul, when he wrote the Ephesians, and he said that he was praying that the church could be able to grasp how long, how wide, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love, and he says in verse 19 of Ephesians 3, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge. Have you ever wondered why God puts up with you? (laughs) Why his patience doesn't run thin? That kind of love, it surpasses knowledge. But we have got to take in that kind of love he has for us. Not so we can become self-centered and an island to ourselves, but uh, because that love needs to flow out from us to others. But it's, the reason we must take it in and grasp it is because Jesus told us and he wants us to believe it. Now, once he told them, he came out with how much he loved them, He said, and at the end of verse 9, Now, remain in my love. The principle there under number one is be, and that's simply this, to stay near God's love. Remain, stay near, stay close to. We were talking the last few weeks about what it means to remain and how do we remain in Christ. Basically, the way you remain Connected to the vine is by realizing your desperate need of the vine. That's part of it is just a sense of desperation. I was thinking about, did you hear about the man in Miami a few weeks ago that it was an ultra marathon runner and he got inside a large bubble that had ventilation and was going to run in that bubble from the Miami coastline to the island of Bermuda. I don't know how far that is. But it was going to be several days, and he had all this preparation and all this energy, um, you know, supplements ready to go. And with, into his journey, he was looking like a hamster out in the ocean, just running around in a big old ball. 
and he had talked with uh, people and uh, the Coast Guard encouraged him not to make this crazy trip, but he felt he could do it. And three days into his journey, three or four days into the journey, he called, he had someone that was kind of following at a distance call the Coast Guard and tell him to come and rescue him. He was 70 miles off the coast of St. Augustine at that point. And I, I can't imagine how glad he was to see help come after several days at the ocean. He basically realized, I can't do this, I need help, and I want to go home. <laughs> and that, that kind of attitude is exactly what we need in order for us to remain. I can't do this, I need God's help so desperately that I don't want to leave his side for a moment. And, and so Christ wants us to stay near the environment of the love of God, to take it in, to stay near it. Well, we might ask, how does that happen? How do we stay near the love of God? I believe that was what Christ had in mind with his admonition in verse 10 when he said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, read that carefully if you would because... I think some of us know about the pain of conditional love. It may not ever have been stated, but the whole sense of, I love you if. I love you when you are lovable. I love you when you do this for me. That's awful. Don't look at verse 10 and, and hear Jesus saying, um, if you obey my commands, then I will love you. Because his love for us was decided and sealed on the cross. And his love for us doesn't change by our actions. His anger at sin can change by our actions and his disappointment with our behavior, certainly. But I will tell you what is dependent on obedience is the experience of God's love. It's not the fact of the love of God. We will be loved by God whether we obey him or not, but we will not remain, we will not abide, we will not be close to his love unless we are obeying him. You think about this for a moment. Let's say back in the day you disobeyed your mom and dad on purpose. You told them a lie, you snuck around and did something or got something that you weren't supposed to, and you're back in your room thinking about it. You're not back in your room going, you know what? You know what's a great thing in life? Just how much my parents love me. It's awesome. You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about, my tracks have not been sufficiently covered. <laughs> I'm about to get busted, and then Pop's going to come through the door and have a word or two with me. Maybe a time of fellowship as well. You're not sitting there thinking about how much he loves you. Why? Because you disobeyed. And disobedience brings that breach, hopefully not from the reality of your parents' love, but certainly from the feeling and the experience of their love. And the same thing happens to us. If you obey my commands, Jesus says, you will remain in my love. It's really what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, where he says that to the one that obeys God, his love is truly made complete in him. 
There's a completeness about the love of God that happens in our heart when we obey. And so, really, verse 10 is about obedience. Make sure that you do what God says to do. It's the best thing for you. I was reading about an economist named Kenneth Gilbreth that was a presidential advisor from Truman to, to uh, Kennedy. And when he was advising and working in the cabinet for uh, President Johnston for LBJ, he was home and he had told his housekeeper that was such a vital, uh, loving part of the family, he told her that he was going to lay down, he wasn't feeling good, and he, that he was not to be disturbed. And, he, and the housekeeper answers the phone and gets a call from the White House from President Johnson. I need to speak with Mr. Gilbreth, he said. This is the president. And she said, hello, Mr. President. He is not able to speak with you right now. He is taking a nap. And the president said, well, wake him up because I need to talk to him. And she said to him, I will not. I work for him, not for you, Mr. President. <laughs> I don't think many people have the courage to say that. But apparently once... LBJ got a hold of Gilbreth. He was so tickled to death with that lady that he wanted her to come work in the White House. <laughs> Maybe a little annoyed but he, at the moment, but he loved that sense of uh, allegiance and loyalty. And when she said, you know, I work for him, not for you, we have to realize that we work for the Lord. We are accountable to him. And sometimes our disobedience happens because we want to please others. We want to fit in well and look nice in this world, but it's about doing exactly what God says, not delayed obedience, not partial obedience, not half-hearted obedience, but absolute obedience, and we will remain in His love. Sometimes we walk around and we talk about what a poor self-image we have, what a low self-esteem we have. I want to say, oftentimes, that lack of a sense of the love of God is often related to our disobedience. I'm not trying to say that your self-image problem is disguised in disobedience all the time, but many times it is. Because the flow, the sense of the love of God is blocked and dwarfed because we're doing our own thing and not being pleasing to Him. Now, at the end of verse 10, it gives us another motivation for our confidence in God's love. And it says, just as I've obeyed my Father's command and remain in His love. And D, under number one, it's the principle is to keep Christ as your example. That Christ is not asking anything of us, that He is not doing Himself and His absolute obedience to the Father, even to the point of death, is our example in this life as we seek to obey the living God. Then in verse 11, Jesus gives us the second breakthrough blessing. And verse 11 is, one of, is a very brief and small but potent verse, packed with truth. And Jesus says, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, the first thing Christ says in verse 11 is, I've told you this, so that. Um, he is, what does he mean by I've told you this? He's probably referring to what we now see as the first eight verses. I've told you about I'm the vine and you're the branches and my father's the gardener. 
I've told you about uh, the reality of prayer, the reality of eternity, the reality of fruit bearing. I've told you all this not so that you could live a joyless existence, not so we could just barely make it through this life and sort of scrape by all the time with a defeated, forlorn demeanor, not ever experiencing any kind of inner satisfaction that God wants to have. No, he says, I've told you all this so that you might have my joy. And so the second principle that the blessing that God has for us, number two, is a life full of joy. And A, under number two, real joy, there's no other way to say it, real joy is God's plan for our life. Joy is not merely a personality disposition. Some people are always going to be wired more cheerful than others, but uh, God's joy is that inner sense of trusting in his goodness and believing that he's in control of all things, and that is God's plan for our life. Matter of fact, I love what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, in verse 16, he says the famous pithy verses in verse 16 through 18 when he says rejoice always pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus in other words God's plan for us is that we be prayerful thankful joyful believers and I, I, I find it interesting to see what Jesus tells us to base our joy on in verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. A second principle under number two about a life full of joy is that real joy comes from Christ's joy. He didn't just give us the cheap stuff that maybe we could have a little bit of our joy based from someone else. He didn't give us Paul's joy or Peter's joy or some other Old Testament saint and follower of God. No, he says, I'm going to give you my joy. He's giving from the private personal stash of the master himself and says, I'm giving you mine. Now, does Jesus have joy? I thought we read in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering in Isaiah 53. We also see the sternness of Jesus uh, when he's rebuking the Pharisees and turning over tables in the temple. We only read in Matthew chapter 10 that he was full of joy with the Holy Spirit on, that, on one particular occasion. We do know that he had joy, but... True joy does not mean that's all you ever experience. A general's complex battle plan would certainly have a, some losses on the way to a victory. And, and Jesus, we read about him in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. There was a joy awaiting Christ as he did the Father's will. And we read that uh, when he speaks in the parable of uh, the good steward in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, that when the master comes to those who've been faithful with his gifts, he says, come and enter into the joy 
of your master. Jesus himself is not gloomy and frustrated and unable to rejoice. Jesus is a man of joy and he gives his joy to his people. Our capacities for joy is very, very small. And I found this quote interesting from John Piper's book called Savoring and Seeing Jesus Christ. He says this, It would not be fully gracious of Jesus simply to increase my joy to its final limit and then leave me short of his. My capacities for joy are very confined. So Christ not only offers himself as the divine object of my joy, but he pours, this is kind of a thinker here, so wake up if you would for just a moment. He says this, but pours his capacity for joy into me so that I can enjoy him with the very joy of God. (laughs) It's interesting. The thought is, Jesus saying, you know what? You guys don't know what joy is. I can't let you be alone with your joy. It'd be too cheap, too sorry, too short, and and too frivolous. He says, I'm going to give you my joy. (laughs) Notice something else about this life of joy as a follower of Christ. It says that in, in verse 11 that my joy may be in you. It's not joy on the outside. It's joy that is in you. And so see, real joy is inner. It's inside. That's why when people on this earth look for stuff to make them happy, it never satisfies. Susie and I were talking about someone that she grew up with that we know, we've known for years. Last night we were talking about how this person quickly entered into a pinnacle of success in his career and made uh, tons and tons of money, has the most beautiful home, has the slickest rides, but to see him, he is so empty and joyless because he's never been able to fully commit his life to Jesus Christ and remain his love and, and get Christ's joy in him he's pursued things on the outside and they have fallen flat and they've never satisfied but jesus says my joy is inside you that's why in john chapter 16 verse 22 that jesus said and no one will take away your joy now we can be robbed of joy by sin by anxiety by a lack of trust and by prayerlessness but no one will take away our joy when it's anchored in him because it's inside we could choose for someone to come rob it so to speak and i believe by the way that another reason there's a a joylessness in us is is because of prayerlessness the very nerve of joy is prayer jesus said in john chapter 16 verse 24 that ask and you'll receive and your joy will be full We, we miss out on the very epicenter of where joy is and that's in the presence of god by calling on his name but note the last part of verse 11 when he says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete that word complete is a word that means mature and it does mean that you and i as followers of christ are to grow in joy we're to mature in joy we're not to stay the same that inner sense of exalting in god uh, when we first came to know christ as we should have 20 years later The longer we grow with Christ, the more that our joy should mature. 
Susie did a cruel thing to me a few months ago. She pulled out an old letter that I wrote her back in the day. One of those ooey-gooey little notes, and she read it to me. I was, you know, 20 years old, and I sounded like a kook in that letter to me. I'm like, I couldn't have written that. I don't sound that dumb, you know. I don't. And she thought it was all sweet, but to me it was, you will never read it. I just want you to know that if you're wondering what it's It just... Um, it just did not sound mature and um, well-written and blah, blah, blah. But it was sincere, but it was just not complete, not mature. And if I were to write that same letter now, it would sound much differently. Why? Because I've, I'm a different person. I've matured, and it's, the love is still there, but it's deeper, and it's different. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that this joy... This inner sense of exalting in Christ because you know that he's in control and that when circumstances come against you, you know that he's still there with you. That inner sense of joy is supposed to grow into completion as we grow in Christ. And so D, finally, under number two, a life of joy, is that real joy develops into maturity. You know, this morning about that letter you saw in the video, you might be wondering, when do I get my next shipment of the love of God and the joy of God? And it comes by, first of all, knowing Him, and secondly, by remaining in Him. And we remain connected to Him by obedience. This morning, maybe your response to this message is that you need to be willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ alone. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to make that decision. You're sensing God's convicting you of your desperate need of him and you're ready to trust him for God's gift of salvation. Maybe God has highlighted in your life this morning a real deficiency of your trust in his love or a real joylessness in you. It could be connected to many things such as disobedience or prayerlessness, but regardless, maybe God is speaking to you about embracing his love and his joy in a deeper way today. As we consider these powerful words of Christ, I'd like us to take a moment and bow together before him today. Living Lord, we truly can say that we rejoice in you. These fleeting pleasures of this earth, they try to compete for our allegiance and give us just enough of this false sense of happiness to keep us wanting more and then crashing us into emptiness. And we won't have it, Lord, because we want your joy. We've tasted the good stuff and we want more of it. Lord, we, we want to pray, though, that we wouldn't just want to remain in your love so we could feel more loved and that we could remain in your joy so we could walk around all smiley. Lord, we want to impact this world. We want to impact the nations with your amazing love and joy so others can taste it as well. So thank you for your word and draw people to your truth as we wait before you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.